Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. Now, do you think the €9 requirement meal should be scrapped if pubs reopen? That's what a lot of publicans are calling for when that time does come. And on the line to chat to us a bit more about this, we have Paul Flannery, who's chairman of the Limerick branch of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Gillian. We also have Michael McMahon from Mother Max Pub in in the city centre. What's the name of the street that's on again? Oh, morning, Gillian. It's on High Street. High Street, yeah. yeah. Now, I know exactly where it is because it's kind of got that iconic shape to us, um, uh, of course, but I just couldn't remember the name of the street. And then we've Sean Lally as well, who's a co-owner and manager of Hotel Woodstock in Ennis. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Gillian. Um, I suppose we'll start with yourself, Paul, first of all, because the Vintners Federation of Ireland have been quite vocal about this. They don't think that there should be a, a meal requirement when pubs eventually reopen. What are your own thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I suppose the Vintners are coming from the angle, and, and rightly so, that they, all pubs showed and proved in September when we all were allowed open um, without a food offering that we can actually manage and, and control the environments we're actually serving uh, our customers in, um, be it through social distancing, the sanitizer on entry and also on tables booking people in and, and limiting the number of people to tables that uh, we, we did what we, we were supposed to do in September. So we've, we've proven we can do it. So the nine euro meal, I think, brought, was brought in last year when they, the government realised they made a mistake by saying food pubs could open with restaurants, um, but then didn't clarify exactly how that was going to be worked out. So they just threw in this nine euro meal um, criteria, um, which obviously didn't work because we've proven we can do it uh, without a food offering. It led as well to uh, a lot of pubs all of a sudden deciding that they were going to do food. I mean, pubs that had never served food before were suddenly offering pizza. Or, uh, I mean, I heard of situations where you had pubs where the €9 meal that you ordered was actually chips from the local chipper. I don't know whether that was urban myths or what, but, you know, you, you were having your pints in some rural pub and some chips would arrive from down the street uh, just... Yeah. Did yeah. that sort of thing actually happen? Listen, we, we've heard, we've we've all heard stories from various scales in terms of uh, the, the local chipper or pizzas, but I think it showed that uh, people adapted quite quickly to try and get the doors open firstly and foremostly to allow them to actually trade and provide a living for their, themselves and their, lab, their, their families and their staff. Um, I've heard various stories and some are true. I think some could be urban myths, but there, there, there is a variance there in terms of uh, what was what was done at the time. But like my my own premises here, we did food every day up until three o'clock, like lunches. But we we invested heavily about four years ago with in upgrading our kitchen, so we adapted to doing food throughout the day um, to allow us open. And it just showed that just other pubs as well did likewise in terms of adapting. Who didn't maybe done food all the time, but adapted just to get their doors open um, to, at the end of the day to to, to trade. Michael, do you understand why the government had that meal requirement in the first place? Yeah, look, I think, you know, we, we, we're we here having this conversation today. Like, we, we closed on the 16th of March because we're members of the community, because we, we're, 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 we're essentially concerned about the health and safety and well-being of, of our community, our customers, our staff, you know, our, our families, right? And 100% we understand why 
the government did what they did, right? And they they based it on the recommendations of behavioural scientists, you know, and they applied what what they believed was was a science and risk based approach to to this. And even even the nine euro meal was was upgraded even um, through the second opening when when there was a requirement to have a kitchen facility and for facilities to actually prepare the meal on site. You know, so we, we, we understand the reasoning, but I think if we're 12 months into it now, um, we've, there's a lot of learnings in that 12 months. The ask that I would have is that they would revisit what they've, what they've, they've decided in the past. They would relook at it because it's, it's all well and good saying when we go for a meal, we're in an intimate setting, we sit down in small groups, we don't really socialise. That was based on the fact that the pub was still there as their social outlet. Remove the social outlet from that, you know, and, and what, we, what we found and what we've seen anecdotally and what we've seen in, in, in practice was that people still want to be social. And whether they be eating a meal or not, they still wish to so- try to socialise. You know, so I think from a science and risk-based perspective, you know, we, we, we need to revisit, relook, and I suppose do what do what's do what's right in terms of the controls, the measures, you know, and the pubs have wet pubs like as as they call them, right? Traditional pubs like myself, you know, have shown that we are capable of, of controlling it in a manner as well, if not probably even a little better than some restaurants. You know, so I think we, we just want to be treated fairly. Sean, I think, you know, a lot a lot of jokes flew around at the time about the, the nine euro requirement and certainly, you know, the opposition TDs made much of the fact that the, the virus has no idea whether you're having a pizza with your pint or just having a pint by yourself, by itself, um, what difference does it really make? But I, I did understand why they brought it in, but the downside is there's fewer places for people to go if you only allow the places that serve food to open and perhaps you might spread the population a little bit more safely if you were to allow everywhere to reopen. Well, Gillian, I didn't necessarily agree with this, but I can tell you one thing. I would love the opportunity to go for a nine euro meal today and have a couple of pints because uh, you just don't have the, any opportunity at the moment the way things are. Um, hopefully the government will review it when we come to the next reopening stage in the next couple of weeks. And um, I think it, you know we have moved on a lot since then. What has led to is that in pubs and hotels and restaurants, you do have a controlled environment. What we have at the moment is uncontrolled environments so where people are going to shebeens, house parties and drinking at home. And you can see the supermarkets, the volume of drink that they've sold over the last year has just gone through the, the, the roof. And um, I don't think that's any good for anyone. Uh, whereas, you know, in our case, we would have gone through lots of training. We would have done the whole social distancing, signage. Uh, we've got the COVID safety charter from Baltic Ireland. So, you know, we are controlled environments and that's not what we have at the moment. So would you be in favour or not in favour of when the pubs do reopen, having that demarcation between wet pubs and gastro pubs or food pubs? I, I think uh, one like the wet pubs, I hate the term, but like it's, it's uh, they we really, did. really suffered. Uh, over the last since this uh, virus started because they didn't get any chance. At least the gastropubs got an opportunity to open for a number of months, like hotels uh, last year. But, you know, it's it's very, very, very unfair in them because the virus doesn't know the difference between, you know, whether a person is having a pizza with their pint or just having a pint of Guinness or Heineken on its own, you know. So there's no... um, 
there's no difference there. I suppose the government and the health authorities probably felt that well, if it was meal uh, with the with the drink, that it might be more controlled and they put a time limit on it. You know, I think that was at the beginning, and I suppose we probably didn't know really know what we were dealing with at the time when the government were there and. Um, you know, there's been a lot, a lot of learning since. So I think I would imagine that the government will probably look at it a little differently when we come to the next reopening phase. Paul, when the pubs were opened last summer and you had this nine euro requirement, was there much given out by customers? Did anybody resent having to to buy food when they might not be hungry? Listen, you're you're all going to have somebody giving out at, at some stage. I think that's part and parcel of the the, the, the Irish pub. That some people just love to give out and they love to, to get a reaction. Uh, listen, uh, yes, people people did give out. Um, there was a lot of unclarity uh, clarity in terms of of un, and misunderstanding in terms of why they were being asked to to sit at a table, not being able to talk to their friend across the, the room at the other side, and a, a number of times I had it. I just need to talk to John. I said yeah, you just need to talk to John, but then you just want to talk to Dennis and and Mary, and then you're you're making contact. So you just need to sit at your table and and enjoy yourself in in the confines because this is the current climate range. So people eventually got it and and understood where we were coming from. Uh, nobody wants to be the, the, the schoolmaster cracking the whip saying you have to sit at your table and not move. But as time went on, people understood where we were coming from and why we were doing it. Um, just to touch back on what you said there in terms of the, you made a very good point in terms of the the interactions between food, food pubs and, and traditional pubs. I'm not going to say the word wet. Uh, it says in, in December it was it was seen that there were some rural communities in particular they were travelling distances to areas where there was food pubs open, and but by, by doing so were interacting with people a lot more people than they would have normally done so. So if their pub was open in the first place in their own local community, they wouldn't have travelled. They would have stayed in their own community and would have reduced their contacts. Which, from a scientific point of view, that the government needs to realise that it makes sense for all pubs to open together because at the end of the day, people will go to their locals and, and will, will know the pub, go to the pubs they know rather than pubs they don't know. And it's, it's spread out across the, the vast majority of, of pubs in a lot safer environment. Yeah, Michael, would you have any fear, though, that if the decision was made that it'll be open everything at once rather than having that demarcation between the traditional pubs and the gastro pubs um, that the ultimate opening date will be pushed back even further Yeah look I, I've said this before and I think we'll, we'll, we'll repeat it you know safety and, and well-being of our customers of our, of our communities of our families of our staff that, that's paramount to us if, if it's pushed if the dates are pushed back then the dates are pushed back. You know, we, we are ready. We have the controls in place. We have done the risk assessments. We've, we've put in place our, our safety statements. We've done the training. We're ready to open when, when the time is right. And really, it's up to the government to decide when, when that time is. And, you know, I'm, I'm not here today to, to try and force that or try and push that agenda. You know, that, that, that needs to be decided. But to be quite honest, there are people up and down the length of bread of this country who are who are suffering and struggling because their business has been closed and their opportunity to trade has been removed. And, you know, yes, we, we have gotten certain certain subsidies, um, we've gotten certain supports, but, you know, we, we, we really need to, to be opening the doors and we really need to be trading again. How much notice do you need, Michael? 
You know what? That's a, that's a very that's a very very good question, right? Um, I look. I w- I personally would be saying I will open within seven days, right? But that's very simple for me to say. Um, I think what we've got to look at is we've got to look at our suppliers. They've got to ramp up production. You know, they 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 would probably require at least four weeks' notice to so to be able to supply and then fulfil. The, the requirements for for stock that we would need. Um, so I think it's 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 easy for me to say seven days, but I think we we require a, a hell of a lot more time than that. Sean, what about you? How much notice would you need? You would definitely need six weeks notice because uh, yeah. in our case, there's a lot of uh, bedrooms and people booking in advance and making plans. So it's not just about the beverage and the food side of it. If it was just food and beverage, yes, I can understand a week's notice would be fine, but you would definitely need. Uh, a, a minimum of six weeks' notice, if not a little bit further, uh, for people to book and, and, and make plans to go away and staycation. Yeah, and Paul, I would imagine staffing is an issue as well because there's no guarantee that all the people who were working for you this time last year will be working for you again when, when the pubs reopen. You know, for all publicans, because people will... Often it's young people, they might have moved on and whatever they were doing, or they may have just decided I'm reskilling uh, and I'm doing something else. So staffing arrangements, that's going to take time for place, uh, pubs and restaurants and the like to, to reorganise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've we've heard stories already of, of, of publicans losing staff members who have gone into industrial factory settings uh, just to provide for their families. Obviously, they still have rent to pay, still have mortgages to pay, still have kids to put through school. So they need to put food on the table. So they they can't wait to survive on on three fifty a week. Um, so some pubs have obviously lost people already. A lot of pubs are still engaging on a regular basis with the their their staff members. Here in Limerick, we have um, instigated a, a, a training program across the, all the pubs, so staff can do remote training online with a number of um, no, uh, various institutions, and that's keeping people engaged with the, with the pub industry um, and, and keeping people focused on on when we do need to open. So we need to keep engaged and communicating with our staff members, uh, so we do know that we, when we do open, we, we we will have staff members there, and we don't have to go through a full retraining process and in re-engagement process in terms of getting staff um, back in the doors because uh, it's going to be stressful and, and pressurised enough mm-hmm. when we do know when we're going to open. Just, just go back to what you said about uh, how long we need. If you read the papers there at the weekend, like the coastal self-catering accommodation is around 90% occupancy for July and August already, whereas the Hotels Federation are saying that hotels and guest houses are about 22% occupancy. People need confidence that they know that the hotels are going to be open in the summertime. We're chatting to Paul Flannery's of Flannery's Pub on Shannon Street, Michael McMahon from Mother Max on High Street in the city, and also Sean Lally, who's co-owner and manager of Hotel Woodstock in Ennis. Um, Michael, outdoor dining is probably likely to be a feature of uh, something that is is touched on in, in the restrictions for the summer months because we do hear an awful lot about it you know the virus does not travel as badly or outside as it does indoors but it's not really the greatest thing for Irish businesses really is it because of our weather No I think if you, if you, if you look out the window even today you know we, we've probably experienced four seasons in, in the one morning already um, you know even even Last week, yesterday even, <clears throat> the rain that fell in the city was, was fairly torrential. You know, we've had hailstones, we've had snow. So, I mean, I think outdoor dining is has been, been put out there as the, the, the solution. I, I don't fully see it as been the, the solution because, I mean, realistically, we, we can't put a roof over over the city or over our businesses or over the country 
Um, I, I think, you know, and then this, this notion of 15, I, I'm not sure where the, the number came from. I think that if, if we are to facilitate outdoor dining, you know, it should be in, or outdoor, even outdoor consumption of alcohol, um, it should be as such that the area itself dictates the number, whatever is safe to do so. And, and we shouldn't just be limited, limiting it to, to a number of 15 because I don't, I don't understand the, the logic of it. You wouldn't have much space outside Flannery's and Shannon Street either, would you, Paul? No, not a huge amount. We usually put out a couple of benches during the summer each year, so that could be maybe four or eight people we could actually accommodate outside our premises. Uh, every, every premises, unfortunately, some premises in the city wouldn't be able to accommodate any outdoor space, so it's very much a case of if you're, you're lucky enough, but I, I touch on what Mike said there, some premises would be safely in a controlled environment allowed in, in a position to, to accommodate 20, 30, 40 people safely outside. So that needs to be looked at rather than just limiting to 15 people because it needs to be commercially viable as well to open. Sean, we heard there before the break that uh, it seems like you can't get a holiday home in Ireland, on the west coast of Ireland, uh, for love nor money for the summer months. They all seem to be booked up, but the hotels are not facing that problem because people don't want to take the risk. No, as Paul says, the, the average occupancy in July and August is only 22%. But like the vast majority of hotels in Ireland would have free cancellation policies available for the summer months. So people can still book without any uh, penalty if they have to change dates or if the COVID restrictions were, were to change. And I know from our colleagues in the UK, as soon as the roadmap for reopening was announced, they got a huge boost in terms of their bookings that people could plan to get away. And that's why you were asking me earlier, you know, about the reopening period, how long you'd need. So as long as possible, I think if people, I know there's a government meeting this week and, and hopefully we'll have a bit more clarity uh, around the reopening process because as soon as people have an idea of what will and won't be open during the summer, they will start to plan and, and book accordingly. And I don't see international or the sun holidays being a kind of a big part of the the holiday plans this year. So I think people will stay at home and uh, take vacations and there is great value out there. And I would encourage as well anyone who is planning this to book directly with hotels as opposed to going to the likes of booking.com or hotels.com because in a lot of cases, hotels are paying between 15 and 20% commission there. So the, there is, and a lot of places like ourselves have multi-night discounts. We offer a discount of up to 20% if you're staying a number of nights. You know, so talk directly to the hotel, book directly and, and get planning. And it's probably now more so than when the big rush comes on that you get very, very good value for money. Sean, tell me, you're out in Ennis, um, not so far from Shannon Airport. We're seeing on the front of the Limerick Leader today that, you know, anybody who comes into Shannon has to quarantine is going to have to go to Dublin. Were any hotels approached in the local area, do you know? I don't know. We've all heard about the hotel group Tifco that got the contract for Dublin. Uh, I don't. I hadn't heard who actually got that from from uh, Shannon Airport. There are very few very few airlines going into Shannon Airport at the moment. Um, but it's only a matter of time, hopefully, before the the airport gets going again. And and hopefully, the fact if you look at our two largest tourist um, incoming countries are the US and the UK. They're miles ahead of us in terms of the vaccine schedule. So, you know, we need a plan in place, you know, not waiting till next August or September to let them know when they can and can't fly in. You know, I think we need that plan in place by May or June so that these people can plan for their, their holidays, and particularly the U.S. market, because I feel there's 
huge pent-up demand there. And I know it's not the right time at the moment, but if they are fully vaccinated, and I know the EU are moving towards uh, some type of vaccine passport, which I would, I would welcome in terms of getting uh, movement going between the European countries again. And I would hope that something like that could be arranged with the US, because no matter how good staycations are, and they have, we, you know, we have done very well out of staycations, and people have been great to support their own and buy local and, and put on the green jersey in Ireland, they will never replace the international market. And I would hope to see that the international market may kick in from September uh, this year. I think that's a polite way of saying we don't spend money like the Yanks do. <laughs> anyway, it's been said by many others before, Sean, um, that they, they certainly are very lucrative for the tourist market here. So that's Sean Lally, co-owner and manager of the Hotel Woodstock in Ennis and also Paul Flannery of Flannery's on Shannon Street and Michael McMahon from Mother Max. We can't wait to see you all open again. Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more.